Starting in 3, 2, 1. And it's time! Thanks for joining me. I am the Daredevil Prophet, and it has been far too long since my last confession. Don't you agree? This is episode 12, titled The Ones We Leave Behind. And Karen is about to leave behind a really, really useful handgun that she could probably, you know, keep and use for future use. You know, it might come in handy. I'm just saying, like, it's probably not smart. Like, I don't know. She's scared shitless because she just murdered somebody. She left Wesley behind. Um, So we're going to get into this episode. And uh, this cold open is just beautiful because it's a... um, uh, It it, it, it has a psychological component to it. It's really interesting. We, We hardly get a chance to do... Uh, psychological in this series there's a lot of psychological in Jessica Jones because uh, there's a lot of things that are going on in Jessica's head Um, but in this show it's a very procedural show Um, so we really get this really glimpse into Karen's head being a murderer being a cold-blooded murderer and being put in a situation where you know, she has to make a decision, kill or be killed. You know, that that's kind of the, um, I don't know, that's kind of the smoking gun, uh, no pun intended, of the, the highest stakes in, uh, in, in television. And she had to deal with that herself. And uh, she's not uh, coming out of the, the other side too well. Um, so here she's going to have a dream. She's going to imagine the kingpin. And it's just really effective. I think this is probably one of my favorite cold opens, if not the like my absolute favorite cold open of season one of Daredevil. It's just really amazing. Like, you know, we established she's been drinking, you know, you know, does she, or or is she suffering from, you know, like a hangover or just sort of intoxication? Um, and there's Wilson Fisk, you know, seemingly in the flesh. You know, if you're watching this for the first time, um, it, it's really effective and it's really um, cool. And, and he comes at her with a very calm... Um, sort of demeanor and it's really really kind of uh, unsettling kind of under your skin kind of unsettling um and this line that he says right here is really really important uh because he says you know it gets easier the more times you do it it gets easier the more times you murder somebody um is that an implication that she's maybe murdered somebody before uh, before uh, before uh, Wesley Owen Welsh, there have been hints to this before in previous episodes, 
Um, and it's kind of uh, sub hinted at there uh, in her dreams. So Wilson Fisk is less of a, uh, of a nightmare of Wilson Fisk. And it's more of a manifestation of Karen's guilt. And it's telling of Karen's past. Um, like that's kind of the interpretation that I kind of see, um, you know, in what Wilson Fisk says to her, um, rather than his actual sort of appearance. I mean, yes, like she's scared to death. Um, she's scared shitless of Wilson Fisk, uh, the person, the man and, and how powerful he is and what he's able to do and the power that he has. But this could also be just kind of a uh, personification of like her demons. Um, it'd be interesting to see um, where she goes in the future. Um, there's definitely stuff that we don't see in this season. There's definitely stuff that we don't see in season two that is hidden deep within Karen's past um, that we might kind of see uh, sort of come to fruition or come to light uh, in future seasons to come. So watch out for that um, because they are setting it up. We definitely will see before before Karen meets her own demise. I hate to tell you kiddos that, but she will meet some sort of demise here. Okay, so we have Karen and Foggy. They're in a very um, kind of weird place right now. Where where the relationship at is at, like you see the, the yellow all in the windows in the background there. This is sort of the opposite of Daredevil Yellow by by Jeff Loeb uh, and Tim Sale, where you know these these characters were flirting with each other and they were in a very good place. And Foggy was really the only one that um, had any sort of um, heavy heartedness because he seen the way that Karen and Matt flirt with each other, but they don't really flirt with each other until season two. And so it, it's interesting that they have this dynamic with each other to where they're not speaking to each other. Foggy is rejecting her calls. Foggy lets Matt and the revelation that Matt is Daredevil get the better of him. And it, and he lets, he lets it affect his uh, relationship with everyone else in the office, um, which happens to be Karen Page and no one else. So it kind of kind of kills that uh, storyline. Kind of nips it in the bud. It's really interesting how they kind of play with the idea that uh that there is kind of this um this triangle this this love triangle between them, but not really. It, it happens low key. There are um very very small attempts at flirtation um that's kind of teasing at a love triangle but it never really uh manifests into a full-blown love triangle like it does in daredevil yellow um and it's really sweet when you see it in daredevil yellow like everyone has very sincere intentions um 
you know, love is in the air in that book. And it's really, really kind of, um, uh, romantically done. And it's really beautiful. Um, I suggest you read that title. I do believe there are very minute, um, uh, instances of that, uh, that book in season one. And I'm really glad that it, it, it made it through. I'm really glad that it made a little bit of an influence. Um, considering that Jeff Loeb is the head of Marvel television or, or, or not the, the head head, but, um, but he's really, a, a really grand orchestrator of bringing Daredevil to television or, or not really even to television, <laughs> but to, but to net Netflix, a streaming series. It's not even like a real television show. It's hard to wrap my mind around the fact that Daredevil is not a television show. It's not a movie. It's an online series, right? It's really a niche, uh, beyond niche. Um, I want to call out something here. Foggy knows that Matt is blind. Uh, Matt is not blind, that he can sense things, but Karen doesn't. Matt instantly knows that Foggy is in front of him. How does Karen react to that? That's her, that's the expression on her face. But, um, but she just says, you know, that wasn't awkward at all. You know, there are little hints that Matt gives to Karen, um, uh, unintentionally, they kind of point to, um, you know, I guess not him being Daredevil, but the fact that he's hiding more than he's letting on. And it's kind of an interesting kind of thing. Everyone's kind of mopey in this scene and it's very, um, uh, it's very dire. Uh, a lot of these people are at a low point, uh, in the show. Um, very, very interesting. Very interesting for these characters to be at this point. At this point of the season. Um, to where the office is in shambles and, uh, you know, nobody knows what is going to become of Nelson and Murdoch. So it's pretty interesting. But that, that cold open, that, that opening scene, you know, it, it really does help sort of shed Karen in a light of being likable, but all, or, or being likable, but not being likable. You know, it, it kind of hints at, at, at a shady past, uh, of Karen's that, that we don't really know and understand, but we might, we might see that in the future. Uh, and I'll bring that up later on. And, and the cold open is very akin to Jessica Jones. Like I said, it, it, it's, it's psychological. It, it's in her head. Um, so there is kind of a similar kind of, um, uh, uh, tone there in that cold open, which I don't think is intentional, but it is there and it, it should be noted. And, um, I'm happy to note it here. Um, How do we feel about Matt in, in the circular glasses? How do, how are you liking it? He's he's never been portrayed in the circular glasses, um, other than in Brian Michael Bendis's run. I'll touch on that a little bit later. Well, one thing to um, 
one thing to address about this commentary is that it's an it it's a commentary, but it's also a um a, a bit of a review of the episode, and it's also a um a chance to talk over the episode. I, I've never really addressed this, but sometimes I I, I talk um about current uh, current uh, shows and current things. Um, that really have nothing to do with the episode. Um, but this is being recorded in real time. And, um, you know, the, the date that it's released, you know, I will address things that are going on um, or or I may choose to address things that's going on um, current day, you know, which is much later point than when season one debuted. Um, so this is this is all of that, you know. I really want these kind of episodes to stand as commentaries as you're watching the episodes. Uh, that's why I do the countdown in the beginning. But there are also things that you can listen to when you're not watching the episodes, and things that you can um, listen to on the way home when you're stuck in traffic, or or something like that, or or when you're snowed in you know, or reined in, you know, these are episodes that you can listen to whether you're watching the episode or not. And that's why I really didn't really put a time frame on when I wanted to release these. Um, It it gives me the flexibility um, to release it in a time that I think is appropriate, but it also gives you the flexibility of listening to it, uh, whether season one just came out or whether it's been three years down the line, you know, I would really sort of acknowledge um, episode five of my uh, of my podcast, um, which is the My Daredevil Saga Part Two. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of talk about Punisher, especially in the in the first like fifteen minutes or so, um, that still applies today and still will apply going into season three and going into Punisher season one. Um, so go and check that out. It's really cool to listen back to what I've said before and predicted before and to see that kind of um, uh, come to fruition or to kind of see how it's it came to pass the way that I that I talked about it back then, but not quite the same, you know. And so it, that's that's the really cool part about doing these episodes and putting my thoughts on wax. And hey, that's why I call myself the Daredevil Prophet. You know, it's really uh, it's really fun to do that. Here we see Wilson Fisk being um, very upset about the death of his, uh, who he calls a friend. Um, and he is, you know, the writers um, and, and Stephen tonight, I'm going to give him a lot of credit for this season. Uh, that's just the way it goes. But I give him a lot of credit. You have Wesley, the right man, the right man of, uh, of Wilson Fisk here. It could have been anybody, but it was Wesley, and Wesley was written in a way to where he was a personal confidant of Wilson Fisk. You know, he was written as 
the best possible henchman for Wilson Fisk because he's not a hired gun. You know, like in Man Without Fear, you know, like, you know, Wilson Fisk had this, you know, guy over his shoulder that didn't speak a word, um, but was a, a marksman. You know what I mean? Like, he's not a throwaway character. Like, he's been in all the episodes except for the finale. Um, which is better than how Wesley was written in the Daredevil movie. This is a, a more fleshed out uh, Wesley that we see in this show. So when Wesley dies, it means more as a loss to Wilson because he comes off as more of a, a friend who, who wasn't hard at, you know, he wasn't a hard edged criminal. He was just somebody who got in way over his head. And, and he's somebody who genuinely cares about Wilson Fisk. You know, he buys into Wilson Fisk's dream. And that's why, you know, we see Wilson Fisk throughout the season. You know, he makes these exceptions uh, of these people that he has. You know, we see Wilson Fisk at the top. And we see Wesley as his confidant, you know, his right-hand man. We see uh, Leland Owsley. Uh, we see sort of this uh, a dicey relationship with uh, with the Japanese. Um, and we also have the inclusion of the Russians and, uh, and Madame Gao, um, who we'll see a lot more of later in this episode. But he makes an episode. An exception for his uh, for his friend Wesley here, you know, this is the only character that is a part of Wilson Fisk's, um, you know, his, his previous entourage. Like Wesley is truly on his side, where Wesley, sorry, where Wilson has to deal a lot with uh, these other business partners. Um, you know, Leland Owsley, like. He fucking says like, "Hey, shit happens," you know. You know. So the contrast between those two characters, you know, Wilson has sort of a sentimental uh, relationship with Wesley, and he wants him in his corner. So uh, seeing him dead, you know, it hurts him. It really, really hurts him. Um, you know, and like I said, like. Owsley just kind of looks at Wilson Fisk as part of the cog that's bringing him money. You know, that, that's sort of his, um, sort of, uh, that's sort of his main concern, uh, in this season, um, is bringing himself more money. He screws over Wilson Fisk in, in the finale. And, uh, and he doesn't care on a personal basis about, uh, Wilson Fisk. Um, which is much different than what we've seen in the previous episode with Wesley. Um, and hey, that's, that's what fucking got him killed. So, uh, so he, Wesley played his hand, um, very poor, poorly. And that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's much to, uh, Wilson and Fisk's dismay, but, but more on the yell. Let's talk about Leland Owsley. He is the owl. That is the owl's uh, origin name. 
or not me, but the show talks about uh, Leland having a son. You know, he's uh, he's in protection or whatever. Like he's he's hiding out. Like, and that gives a lot of people hope for you know the owl being in future uh, future seasons or whatever. I don't really think it's going to be the owl of the comics. Um, you know, Leland's son is not going to be flying around and he's not going to have like the Wolverine haircut and, and the claws and all that kind of stuff. We're never going to see that on Marvel's Daredevil Netflix show. Um, you know, it, and it just, there's a lot of things that dawned on me recently. We're not going to see a traditional rendition of the owl. We're also not going to see a traditional rendition of Stiltman or Gladiator. I really don't think we're going to see Gladiator in uh, in the way that he was originally conceived in the comics. Um, but it's but I'm happy that they included um, you know Easter eggs and stuff like that in season one. They they were able to fit it in because really this is the only season that we're going to see it. So what you see in season one for those characters is really the closest that we're going to come to, um, to, to those characters. Um, I have a list here of, uh, of characters that we have seen so far. Uh, and I call them marquee characters. Okay. We've seen the owl. We've seen Wesley, uh, and we see Ben Urick. Okay, those characters are not going to return uh, beyond season one for obvious reasons. Okay, season two, we have Electra. We have Kilgrave, who was in Jessica Jones. Uh, those are the uh, villains. Uh, Electra will come back. And Punisher. Punisher might come back as well. But Kilgrave not coming back. So when you do kind of a process of elimination game, you can kind of see how some characters are never going to make it to the MCU. Some characters are never going to make it on the Daredevil show or any other uh, Netflix show uh, that's, that's under Marvel. And when you kind of do that, you can kind of pull together a list of hopefuls uh, of candidates of characters who are going to, uh, or, you know, I, I won't presume to know who will make it in the show, but who might make it in the show. And I think like season three, I think we know enough about season three. I really ha have stated this on Twitter and you can follow me at, Ultranova05. I've stated this on Twitter that I don't want season three to be about born again, but I feel so much worse that season three will be about born again that we're going to go based off of that. Let's assume that season three is born again and there's so much, uh, there's so many, there's so many good storylines that 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 exists within the daredevil lore in comics that you really have to get 
born again out of the way. You know, season two, you know, Frank Miller's run with, with Daredevil and Electra and, 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 uh, and that psychodrama that he was talking about, you really had to get season two out of the way. And season two really helped to set up a lot of things that are going to take place in the Defenders. Um, and so you had to get that out of the way. I really do feel that season three is just kind of getting born again out of the way. Because, to be honest, there's enough material for Daredevil to last more than eight seasons, more than seven or eight seasons. Seven or eight seasons to me is the sweet spot. So when I say that more than, uh, there's more than eight uh, seasons worth of Daredevil storyline to cover, they really do have to rush a lot of things. And so I really do think that they are going to do Born Again for season three. I don't think that they're going to explore a whole lot of um, the run of Daredevil that happened after uh, season three. And let me give you this tidbit. I talked about Daredevil having circular um, glasses. Why is that important? When did that happen? What's the most notorious uh, Daredevil cover that has Daredevil in the circular glasses. Oh yeah, that's right. That happened during Brian Michael Bendis's run. Which title? In the storyline of Out. Uh, quote unquote Out. Out is a huge storyline in the comic and I think that's what they want to tackle. So this dawned on me, this series of Daredevil, even though it's covering Man Without Fear in season one, even though it's covering a large part of Frank Miller's run in season two, even though it will cover Born Again in season three, this is not a Frank Miller show, right? Like, Frank Miller posted on Twitter, like, hey, like that Electra that you season two, that's not my Electra. Well, this isn't Frank Miller's show. This is a show that happens in the tone of Brian Michael Bendis. This is, this is, this is filtered through Brian Michael Bendis's run. And so when you see Daredevil in those glasses, and having the mannerisms that he has. This is Brian Michael. This is, this is under the Brian Michael Bendis filter. This is the Daredevil that we're seeing. And this is going to create a lot of consistency. Um, so season one, season two, season, season three will not entail Brian Bendis's storylines. But it's almost as if you take um, Brian Bendis's uh, take on the Matt Murdock figure and you put him in Frank Miller's run. How does that particular Matt Murdock react to the events that happen in those storylines? This is what we're seeing. Um, 
And so, like I said, they want to rush Born Again out there. And Born Again is the quintessential Daredevil run. Um, so it, it's it it's crazy to think that they're trying to rush um, Born Again. But I wholeheartedly believe that it will happen in season three. And so who do we have in, in the Born Again storyline story in the comics? We have Nuke, who makes an appearance. Uh, more than appear, more than an appearance in uh, in season one of Jessica Jones, he's there. And here's one other thing about the actor: he sure looks a lot like Captain America. The physique, the hair, the, you know, you look at them side by side, you know, in silhouette. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to to tell them apart. Um, so more on that in a second. But here we're watching Daredevil scale the rooftops. This is this is really important because we never see this throughout the entire season. We see it here. I love this scan of the buildings because whenever they do a scan of the buildings in the future, you know that Daredevil is running atop, atop those rooftops, right? Usually it's like him jumping into frame. He does a lot of jumping into frame uh, in season 13. Um, but here he's scaling the buildings. You see the smile on his face, like he's enjoying it. Like this is this is really um, quintessential Daredevil. Um, that you know we see in the comics, we saw in the movie. We see him scaling uh, uh, the buildings. He's not even in, in his Daredevil suit. Um, but this is who Matt is. This is how he gets around, um, and this is kind of what sets him apart. Uh, and he doesn't even have his uh, his his billy club yet, so he really has to run and jump and do all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So it, it's really beautiful to see it here. Probably one of the best stunt scenes in the entire season, um, and it's really great. Like this has been, sorry, this is Matt, uh, and this is. This is something that you definitely want to get right. This is something that a movie probably didn't do right because of the uh, uh, overuse of CGI and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we see it here. Uh, practical stunts. Uh, it works. It's beautiful. Okay, so back to season three. We're probably going to see Nuke. Um but in the Born Again storyline, we see Captain America kind of uh, take on that. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting because um, there really isn't going to be too much connectivity between, uh, between the MCU uh, in films and the MCU in television. I mean, like... I really do feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of in the middle to where you've had Sif on there. You've had Nick Fury on there. Agent Coulson is on there. Um, but the Netflix shows have not really seen anybody in their shows that, um, that were from the films. 
and vice versa. We don't see any Netflix characters on, uh, you know, in, in any of the films. And I don't think that we're going to see that. And I've, I've kind of made my peace with that. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, this is a completely different tone. They're going for something completely different. They have a, Netflix has a completely different, uh, uh, chest of toys to use. Uh, and the same with the films, like the films are two hours. It's very, very hard to squeeze, um, you know, the defenders into an, to infinity war. Like I've kind of made my peace with that at this point. Like, okay. Like I, I was really looking forward to that for a long time. I've kind of given up hope and I'm kind of okay with that. I'm kind of not, you know, I would freak out if I saw Daredevil in a Marvel film, uh, but you know, I, I'm not going to kill myself you know, if he doesn't end up in one, like I've made my peace with that. Like Daredevil has sort of hit his stride in the Netflix series. And, um, and Hey, if we, if we get through multiple seasons of Daredevil and Charlie Cox is still on board, um, for doing more appearances, you know, Hey, we might, we might finally see that maybe in agents of shield, maybe in a different show maybe in the uh, the MCU films themselves. So we'll definitely see. Um, fingers crossed, but hopes are low at this point. Um, we have to talk about Ben. We have to talk about Ben Yurik here. Here he is trying to get a story printed. His boss, what's his name? Ellington? Ellison? Yeah. I don't remember, but it's one of those. Ben's trying to get a story printed. And this is a, this is a really cool theme that, um, that is prevalent in today's world. You know, he thinks that his boss is paid off by Fisk, um, because he feels that his boss is pressing the truth. And there's a lot of themes here of, you know, one-sided news, you know, you know, the fake news that's kind of perpetuated on CSN, you know, a lot of prevalent stuff that's going on in today, um, that happened a couple years before in this show. And, you know, this is all stuff that happens under the, the radar. And this is stuff that's been going on for quite a while. There's a lot of cool human themes and human truths that go on in this episode, particularly um, in Ben Yerk's story. Um, you know, he comes into conflict with his boss, and then he comes into conflict with, with Kingpin. You know, there's truths to both sides. There's good points to both sides. Um, and, you know, it it just hits you like this show or, or this episode is effective in achieving the show, the show's goal of wanting to make Kingpin sympathetic, you know, to make both sides sympathetic. Um, and, uh, we see Ben, you're, you know, trying to fight the power, trying to fight the man, you know, 
trying to fight the powers that be to trying to get the truth printed to, to try to get the truth out there. Um, and it's a very, uh, valiant effort. Matt is following these blind, um, uh, these blind people into, uh, into this, uh, this abandoned warehouse kind of area here that's, uh, that's protected by gunmen and that is run by Madame Gao. So this kind of ties up that sort of, um, iron fist element, uh, to it. Uh, we see Madame Gao here. We see that we see that she's distributing uh, drugs that have the seal of uh, of the serpent. I like to call it the serpent, um, but it's something that is meant to set up um, uh, uh, Iron Fist and what's going to be going on with that. We do know that Iron Fist is going to have a really tremendous idea of what's going on in the Defenders, probably more than all the rest of the Defenders. Um, because of this, he knows, uh, you know, Steel Serpent. He knows Madame Gao. Um, he knows what's going on in the world. Um, but this is really cool to see Matt sort of have the running run in with him you know when this season came out when season one came out this was the setup to defenders like there wasn't guaranteed to be a season two um before the defenders uh, event came out so this was the setup uh, of the defenders you know and daredevil having a brief run-in with the hand a brief run-in with madame gal and all the types of things with uh with uh with Madame Gao. Uh and for him to be able to have that healing factor, you know, is an element of Iron Fist and kind of like his inner chi and all that kind of stuff. So there's enough connectivity in this season alone that we didn't really need season two. And it's done in a subtler way than it was in season two. Um and this is really cool to see Daredevil sort of uh, discover that all of these people are blind. Um, it, it kind of like has a, a feeling of him dissenting into a type of um, lower realm where we see him kind of, you know, caught off guard by, by these, uh, these, uh, these blind people um, that, he's, uh, that he's confronting. Um, so it, it's kind of really interesting to see it. it it's kind of like a, a WTF moment um, where you can't really point to a Daredevil comic that kind of uh, that you can kind of reference to kind of gauge what's going on. But um, but it does happen in the Marvel lore. Um, it's just really, really well done. Um and it's one of the, like for me, it was one of the, you know, kind of curveball moments of the season tours. Like, 
Like, Madame Gao can punch. Like, all these people are blind. Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, Madame Gao is literally like Yo in episode two, right? Where she's walking on the cane, but she can knock the shit out of you. She can completely knock the shit out of you. And, and Daredevil has no idea. Like, he thinks he's just going to, like, press this older, you know, helpless lady. Uh, and there's the theme or, or the motif of hell. Like, we have the flames. Um, Daredevil making grand entrance with flames behind him. But Madam's, Madam Gal's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, like all these people have faith. And you take that away from them. And she's playing awful. She's playing the old helpless lady well. Um, there's a lot of secrecy here um, with with her character. And, and it's really, really kind of um, a, a curveball for me because I haven't really studied um, Iron Fist. I don't really know a whole lot of his lore. Um, or too much of any lore outside of Daredevil. Um, Daredevil's my man. So I, uh, pretty much know what's going on, um, in reference to Daredevil comics. But this was a real curveball for me when I saw it. And, um, and it's a welcome inclusion. Like it, it's not completely intrusive, you know. Madame Gao is set up in the very first episode. Um, you know, Wilson Fisk having this sort of, um, fragile, uh, alliance with, with Nobu, with Madame Gao, and with these different assets. Um, it was really great. It was really great that Daredevil, uh, sorry, that Wilson Fisk didn't have his own henchmen but that he was kind of relying on these fragile alliances with these people that he didn't really know that weren't a part of his uh, entourage. Daredevil has been through this before with, um, uh, with the police. So he's learned, I got to take this one guy out for, uh, before more cops show up. And, uh, and Daredevil's not having it this time around. He's like, I didn't kill anyone. Like, I didn't blow up, you know, the, those buildings. Like, get over it. Like, he really has a real uh, grievance against cops. And he's like, you know what? Like, you need to take a better look at what's going on here. Um, I love it. I love it. Because he, he's defending himself and, and his reputation and... He really has, you know, a, a good reason to. So it's it's really funny how he acts outside of the law. You know, he'll he'll give a good whooping to to a police officer um, who is eventually going to be promoted and become a, a, a detective. But it, it it's really um, it's really fun to see him um, kind of like set somebody straight. You know, somebody in law enforcement. It's really kind of interesting to see that. Um, you know, to sum up, he's a badass. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. Okay. So what I want to talk about, about season three is I do think we'll see nuke. I do think we'll see the same actor. Captain America probably won't make his way. We probably won't see Chris Evans in season three of Daredevil. 
we probably won't see anybody in the films in Daredevil season three. I would love for that to happen. Um, maybe they're trying to hold off on Daredevil season three um, to, to to get actors, but to be honest, I, I really think they're just too expensive. Um, their schedules are too jam packed. Um, I really don't see it. But guess what? Nuke has a history of of being in the military. He was in uh, a special ops. Hmm. Who else do we know has a history in the military? Oh, yeah, that's right. The guy that we established in season two, Frank Castle. Perhaps, perhaps, this, this is my own head spinning here. Perhaps we might see the Punisher take on that Captain America role in the Born Again storyline to where Frank Castle feels compelled to um, kind of sustain the reputation of the military. Um, Frank Castle will sem- semper fi, uh, and and uh, Nuke was uh, 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 he was a, a spec ops, but they didn't say what part of the military he was in. So he may have also been a part of the Marines as well. So we might, they may have set Punisher up to be the Captain America of the Born Again storyline. Kind of convenient, right? You know, you just call, uh, you just call the Punisher back. You know, he already has an established relationship with Daredevil. And he says, look, like, you know, we have a, you know, whatever our, um, partnership is, whatever our relationship is, I'm, putting all of that aside because I want to deal with nuke. So we may possibly see Punisher in season three as well. Um, other than that, you know, you have nuke in Jessica Jones. The only reason why you have nuke in Jessica Jones is because it's a way to set him up for him to be a villain in his first appearance and probably his most notable appearance. Um, related to any Netflix series, which is Born Again. So I can almost almost 1,000% guarantee that he's going to be in the Born Again storyline if it takes place in Season 3. I'm almost surmising that he will, and that Season 3 will be about Born Again. So yeah, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but I am the Daredevil Prophet, and that's what I do. Um, so... We have Nuke. Um, don't be surprised if we see um, somebody like the Punisher um, come back into the fray for that storyline, to finish up that storyline, um, because we're probably not going to get Captain America. We may get, we may, we may get a few defenders um, backing Daredevil up. Uh, in Born Again, just that... Um, uh, that scene with the helicopter. Oh my goodness. I, I never thought twice about it before, but the more, the more it's in my mind that it's going to come to fruition in live action, a helicopter like shootout scene on it, on the Daredevil show is going to be fucking awesome. It's going to be fucking amazing if they 
if they take that uh, that action scene and they put it in the show. Oh my goodness, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. That that helicopter scene is gonna be amazing. So I think that Nuke is gonna be in season three, possibly along with Punisher, uh, in accompaniment with Nuke, um, because Nuke is just gonna hot to handle for Daredevil, possibly. Um, and because Born Again kind of warrants a, um, a cameo or a, or a guest appearance by, uh, somebody to help, uh, to help Matt in his, in his lowest hour. Born Again is going to be really good, you guys. Season three is going to be really good. Um, just you wait and see. I- I've talked to, uh, in this episode before about how Karen has a, a shady uh, past. She's killed Wesley, but she even hints that that's probably not the first person that she's killed. Season three candidates. Will we see death's head? Uh, will we see anybody related to her family or anybody in her actual family as well in season three? Uh, we'll see. Um, not really a lock in my mind, um, but it is a possibility. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I do have a pool of people that, um, uh, of marquee characters, of, of notable characters. Um, Bullseye, obviously. Um, I don't expect Bullseye to come in until pretty late in the series and i'm okay with that i'm i'm really okay with it he needs to be the one that murders karen but that could be in possibly season six uh seven somewhere around there um i'm okay with bullseye being absent from the series um up to this point and even up to that point he, even if he doesn't show up until season six or season seven, you know, a later season, I'm kind of completely okay with that. Um, uh, the show is thriving uh, without him. And once you have him, he starts to become a, a dominating character that it, that commands a lot of attention, that commands a lot of the storylines. Once you include it, implement him into, into the Daredevil series, then, um, then it's hard to keep them out, uh, just like Kingpin. This is the most emotional that we've seen Matt in this entire season, um, probably in the entire series so far. Um, he's at a low point, but to be honest, I really don't understand why, uh, th- this emotionality is hitting Matt now. Um, so let's, let's talk about the theme. Uh, let's talk about the title, uh, uh, the ones we leave behind, you know, the foggy isn't dead, but Matt doesn't have his friend like he used to. Uh, he's talking about how he's pushed away, uh, Karen and the people closest to him. Uh, so he's kind of left his friends and his colleagues behind. Um, Wilson Fisk has also done the same. He's also had to, uh, bury, uh, 
Barry Wesley and, and say goodbye to his his probably his best friend, like his foggy uh, of the series. Um, and he's also had to say goodbye to Madame Gal. Um, he's going to have to say goodbye to Leland uh, pretty soon. Um, and we also say goodbye to Ben Yurick. So let's talk about Ben Yurick. And he's going to die in this scene. Um, he's going to um, bring out the truth. He's going to do something that's very unpopular. And he's going to pay with his life. Um, and it's very... Uh, it, to me, this is probably the most notable death of of the Daredevil series so far. Um, yeah, this, this is also another curveball, uh, in this episode. You don't expect Ben Yurick to be killed off in one. Um, but I want to talk about his death. His death is a symptom of our time in today's television. You know, look at, look at the great shows, um, in primetime television, you know, shows like the walking dead, you know, they're killing, you know, main characters off or, or, um, kind of side characters you know characters that are important to the show they're killing them off like every season and so i i feel like ben your Yurik's death is a symptom of that um because you're seeing it a, it a lot and you know he's still alive in the comics he's he you know in the comics he outlives matt murdoch you know crazy as that is to believe um but um this really does start to set up the um the idea of permadeath in the MCU the the idea that somebody can die and stay dead um you know like it, it just doesn't happen in the films like anybody who's really died um you know the possibility of them coming back you know agent colson died in the first avengers and now he's running Agents of Shield on the Agents of Shield uh, television show, like so he's miraculously alive. But Ben Yurk is dead. Like he's not coming back. He's not coming back to the MCU. Like we're not going to see this actor ever again. We're not going to see the Ben Yurk character ever again in the show, or 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 any time you know in the in the future. And it really sets up this idea that was. It was a concept that really took off, took off uh, from Marvel c- Comics in the pages of Daredevil first. Like Daredevil sort of introduced that kind of idea of permadeath. You know, somebody dying and staying dead. You know, Daredevil actually has one of the more notable uh, deaths in all of, of, of comic history. Um that happen to entail characters that stay dead. I mean, Spider-Man has had notable deaths as well, but they manage, we managed to see them in another dimension, or we managed to see them come back to life, uh, or, or cloned or something like that. Like Daredevil, like in a Daredevil comic, when somebody's killed off, there's not a real good chance that they're going to come back. <laughs> you know, that's just, how it works in this gritty, grounded, sort of noir um, tone uh, 
endearable, and that's what's so great. Uh, and it's really, it really was introduced by Frank Miller and, and his run. And the spirit of that is introduced here, right now. Uh, and what Wilson Fisk is talking about is just so spot on. The idea of people not caring about the truth, people uh, just being so preoccupied with uh, with videos of cats and, and celebrity weddings and all that kind of stuff. Like all of that stuff like rings true. Like it's completely, completely telling. I mean, this really is a series for our, um, for our age and for our decade. And it's really great. Um, but the death of, of Ben Yurik, like we, he's kind of an expendable character. We can kind of get rid of him. We can kind of make our peace with letting him go because his storylines that you see, um, in the future comics that are coming up, like Born Again, like he has a pretty big, um, role in Born Again as well. We can kind of trim that storyline out. Um, and we can fill it up with Karen because we, we see, um, the team up with Ben Yurik and Karen. Um, in this season where he's showing her the ropes and she's taking on journalism and she takes on jur- journalism full on in season two. Um, so she kind of takes up that mantle and that's something that you can see in this season that, that, that she's going to carry on the Ben Yurik spirit. She even carries on the Ben Yurik vehicle. Um, she literally drives his car. Um, so Ben Yurik is expendable. You don't really see it watching the season. You think he's going to live. But uh, it's a curveball to see um, Ben Yurik die and be murdered at the hands of Wilson Fisk. Um, and like I said in the previous episode, like Karen is almost completely responsible. <laughs> She's yeah, this this is all all her fault. Like death follows her, and that was um, true in the beginning of of, of the season. In the beginning of the episode, and that's true at the end of the episode, that happens to catch up to her closest person in Ben Yurik. So this has been episode 12. I thank you guys for joining. And the next episode starts in 3, 2, 1. Welcome back once again. I am Dirt. I am the. Starting in three, two, one. It's time! Welcome back once again. I am Dirt. I am the. 